Well, hello, and my name is Ben Marshall, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Pathway. And uh, it is my pleasure to bring God's Word to you today as we've been in this series in Ecclesiastes. Uh, It was December 4th, 1965. Okay, just to set the context, this was 24 years before I was born. Okay, just to level with you about my age. And uh, so December 4th, 1965, this song hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. It hit number three in Canada and number 26 in the UK. What was this song? We sang it tonight. Turn, turn, turn by the birds. And birds is spelled wrong. It's with a Y. Not really sure why, but it is spelled B-Y-R-D-S for some unknown reason. But uh, the author of the song, or the composer of the song, his name was Pete Seeger. And Pete Seeger wrote this song out of a place of frustration. Okay, Pete Seeger was, was, cared more about writing songs of a, a protest type of nature. He was a social activist. And his publisher wrote to him and said, listen, Pete, I don't know if he called him that, but we're just for the sake of conversation. He said, listen, Pete, I can't sell the songs that you're writing. I need you to write something else. So Pete's like, I I don't like that, but uh, I also, you know, need to put food on the table. And so Pete here, he's like, all right, fine. And so he sits down and with a tape recorder and uh, 15 minutes of time, he writes this song. Turn, turn, turn. Took him 15 minutes to write a number one hit. Now, it was purchased by the birds, and and they are the ones who kind of popularized it. But we look at Pete writing this song, and we have to ask the question, why? He wrote a song that that came from Scripture, and and yet Pete himself was not a Christian. He didn't really have a a high view of the Bible. In fact, he he just called it a bunch of folklore. And so he looks at the Word of God, and he, he pulled this song out of the Word of God. And you think, okay, it took him 15 minutes to write a number one hit. That's pretty amazing. But when like 98% of your content is just Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, it makes it pretty easy. You added a few words, and that was about it. So it's very interesting to look at that. Um, but asking the question as he wrote this song, it wasn't even the kind of song that he necessarily enjoyed writing. It wasn't the kind of music that he wanted to produce, and yet it paid the bills. So he asked the question, what is the point? Is it just to make money? Was it just to, to get a little bit more fame? We know that it helped out the birds and get, get them a little bit more famous uh, for some of their music and, and all that. So he gained a little bit of money. He gained a little bit more fame. But what's the point? Was it really worth his time, worth his investment? I mean, the, financially, we would say yes by name recognition, probably uh, some of those things. But it was not even music that he wanted to make. So what's the points. And that's been the, the series that we've been going through, through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 3 today, and as we look at chapter 3, we, we see that the, the teacher Solomon has really been trying to find the answer to that question, like, what is the point? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Have you ever felt a, a similar frustration yourself? Maybe you've been asking a, a similar question. What is the point? Why am I here you kind of look at the world around you and you're like, like, really, is this it? Maybe you feel that way sometimes at work. You feel like you're not really making a difference. You find yourself constantly looking at the clock, just counting the minutes, counting the hours until you can get out of there and get on with the rest of your life because you don't feel like there's much meaning or purpose in the work that you do. Maybe you're in school, whether it's uh, you know, elementary, middle, high school, or maybe you're, you're in college or taking some classes online, and at times you can wonder... 
is it really worth it? Like, what is the point? Like, you're, you're in the middle of a class or something and wondering, like, is this really meaningful? Am I really going to use this degree? Am I actually going to learn what the teacher is trying to communicate? Or maybe in a relationship. Relationships can be challenging, and, and so maybe you're in the middle of a relationship and, and you just are, are kind of asking, hey, what is the point? Can I really trust anybody anymore? You, you've been hurt in the past, or all people do, or all maybe you do, is feel like you fail or cause pain or heartache, and you're asking, man, what is the point of continuing on? Maybe you've already messed things up, and you wonder why you even keep trying. What's the point? Or maybe it's in marriage, and you're, you're feeling unsatisfied. You're feeling like the, the feelings aren't being returned, or, or whatever it may be, and you're asking yourself, why? And, and what is the point? Or maybe it's in parenting and you wonder, is it even worth the fight? Is it worth the emotional strength and endurance that it takes? Is it worth fighting for screen time or against screen time or whatever it might be? Or is it even worth engaging in uh, that, that disciplinary action? Is it worth the energy that it takes and the toll that it takes? Is it, is it worth it? What's even the point of some of these things? What's the point? I hope you're all encouraged by now. Uh, this is a very exciting message. So, you know, we're just going to jump right into it. But my guess is that the majority of us have kind of come to ask ourselves that question at some point, at some time in our life. Because we are human. <laughs> we have faced that question. And Solomon here is also just a, a human being trying to figure life out. Now, he had a few more resources than we probably did, being one of the wealth, wealthiest humans to have ever lived, the, the wisest person to have ever, ever lived. He had a few more resources than we did. And yet, even in his vast resources, he still struggled to find meaning. There's another song that was written in 1965, released, released in 1965. I found it very interesting that these two songs were both released in the same year. And this one is from the Rolling Stones called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Okay, also way before my time. I apologize if that was at your time. But there's this song by the Rolling Stones called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And one part of the song goes like this. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no and it just continues. There's this desire to try to find satisfaction, but he can't find it. They've pursued it in different areas and, and haven't been able to find it. And so we've been in this series called What's the Point? And tonight we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes 3 and ask, the, and ask, like, how do we find satisfaction? So today's sermon is finding satisfaction. When we look back through chapters 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes, we see that, that Solomon, the teacher, has tried to find meaning in different ways. We referenced some of this already. He tried to find meaning in literally everything, and in verse 2, he came to the amazing conclusion that just everything is meaningless. Whew, I hope, again, that you are so encouraged by this sermon. But he tried to find it. He tried to find it in work. He tried to find it in nature. He tried to fill his mind with seeing and, and his ears with hearing and, and all this. He, he says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after 
the wind. This is not the kind of guy that you invite to a party because he's just going to take all the wind out of the sails and it's just going to be a, kind of a downer. But he got specific in chapter two where he tried to find meaning in, in things like pleasure from construction projects and beautiful homes to possessions and music and money and women. He tried pursuing wisdom and, and finding meaning in work, but he couldn't get no satisfaction. He could not find it in any of those things. And if we're honest, if we were to take stock of our own lives, we find ourselves at times caught up in the same game, trying to find a satisfaction in some of these same areas that Solomon tried. So we should take a note out of his book and, and realize it's not going to satisfy. That's not going to be where we find our satisfaction. So he pens the next part of our section today that, that we're going to look at in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So I would invite you to turn there with me as we read. Um, you've got a Bible there under your chair, or you can turn to the YouVersion Bible app, um, or maybe you brought one with you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, the verses will appear on the screen, but also it's helpful to have them in front of you as we go through, because we'll read through the first eight verses and then kind of go back and, and look at them a little bit more in depth. So as you turn there, just a little bit of a background on the context of what we're going to get into. Um, these eight verses that you already heard sung, um, Solomon writes this, this beautiful poem. It's a poem that has 15, or sorry, 14 opposites. It's written in seven verses, two through eight is the poem, and, and he's got these 14 opposites. And so the way that he wrote it and the language that he used and the number of all these things, Solomon is very intentional in this. And, and so communicating in this way suggests the idea of completeness and totality in this list. He kind of gives a, a general summation of these seasons of life that we experience. And so as he writes in this kind of way, you will probably find your current season, your past season, and your future season of life within this listing of different seasons. So beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, Solomon writes, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Solomon begins in verse 1 telling us that there is a season for everything, a time, a suitable moment, an appointed time for all of these seasons. There's a time for all of these. And, and so as we look at our lives and we realize like there are different seasons and phases of life, we need to understand that hey, it's okay to, to be in the season that you're in. But it's important about what you do when you're in that season. It's important about where you look when you're in that season. Is everything meaningless in that season or are you finding satisfaction in that season, even if it's not a positive season? So we have these different seasons. And so Solomon highlights that, that everything has its appointed time or hour, a particular or proper time specified for when something is going to happen. It's really a God-appointed time. 
of all these things happening. You don't choose when you're born. You don't choose when you die. God is in control of this. In the same way, uh, in that verse 2, it says a time to plant and a time to uproot. Again, that's God's timing. You can plant at any time. But if something's going to grow, you really need to plant it at a good time. You try to plant a crop in the, in the middle of winter when the ground is hard and frozen, you're not going to produce anything. It's just going to die and, and not produce anything. And so a time to plant and a time to, to harvest really is even directed under God's guidance as well. So Solomon kind of starts there and he kind of ends in, in a similar place. So there's a suitable moment or a proper time for it all. And in verse 3, he talks about a time to kill and a time to heal. It's not permission to murder, okay? That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying, man, I'm really mad at somebody. I feel like it's a time to kill. That's not what he's saying here. The idea behind this was more so talking about disease and famine and plague, or you could call it pandemic. Like there's a season of those things where people are dying and people are being healed. There's a season of those experiences. In verse 4, We see a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Gentlemen, real men cry. Did you know that? Right? These are godly emotions, to weep and to mourn. They're things that, that we can be uncomfortable with. And yet the reality is it's a biblical godly emotion to be in a season of that, to to be able to feel that. It's not getting in touch with your feminine side. It's getting in touch with a piece of your complex humanity that God gave you the gift of. So a season to weep, a season to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Now, I come from a Baptist background, so that, next, like, that dancing part, like I'm sure that's not what it actually means. I'm just kidding. A time to dance, right? To be joyful. Like David danced before the Lord in, in his excitement and, and just extreme overwhelming joy for what was happening in that moment. Like he danced so much that his wife was like, honey, sweetie, like stop, stop. You're embarrassing all of us. You're the king. You shouldn't be doing that. And David's like, yeah, but God is so, like he just was dancing and going crazy to the point where he embarrassed his family. So again, these are godly emotions. So Solomon continues on with these different opposites, embracing and and refraining from, like it's kind of saying hello and and saying goodbye, a time to to be together, a time to be apart. And, And some of these things that he gets into, there's searching and giving up searching and tearing and mending and keeping silent and speaking. And we get into verse eight, another one that, that can sometimes be a little bit confusing, a time to love and a time to hate. So is Solomon giving permission for us to hate? In part, yes. Hate is also a godly emotion because there are things that the Lord hates and there are things that we as his followers are also called to hate. The book of Proverbs says to fear the Lord, which is actually going to be our our third point here in a minute, so don't jump ahead, but to to fear the Lord or to revere or be in awe of the Lord is to do what? Is to hate evil. So again, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. So again, there's an appointed time, a suitable moment for these seasons, and that's helpful to remember for us that, that whatever season you're in isn't forever. If it's a really good season, remember that it's not forever. If it's a really bad season, remember that it's not forever. There's only one thing that is forever, and that is our Heavenly Father. And so we need to remember that that seasons come and seasons go, but God is unchanging in those seasons. 
So this list has significance in that it kind of gives this general summation of these different seasons that, are, uh, that, that we experience in life. And remember that, that the teacher is on a, a journey searching for meaning. And as of now, he's, he's still come up short. There's a, a time for everything, but he still hasn't, had, hasn't found that, that time for meaning and really figuring out that and, and finding satisfaction. Um, just a, a little bit about me. As a teenager, so in middle school and high school, um, I was a guitar player in a punk rock cover band. Okay? Just, we all have a past, okay? And as I was a guitar player in a punk rock cover band, uh, one of the bands that I listened to released an album in 2008. And uh, in 2008, the album title was called Life is Not a Waiting Room. So you can kind of see where their mind is at, just even in titling an album, Life is Not a Waiting Room. Okay, so what is it? Like they're seeking the meaning of life. I, I think those artists and Solomon would have had some really good conversations to be able to talk about the meaning of life. But they released a song, and, and these guys are by no means uh, followers of, of Jesus. And, and so they released this song called Yellow Angels. And in that song was a, a line that from the day I heard it, like 13 years ago, from the day I heard it until now, like it, it is so impactful because we can see what they're searching for. And so in the middle of, of this, just this sad song and, and some, like the music behind it really sets the tone for it and sets up this question. And the author, the, the singer says, there's got to be more than this. I don't want to just exist. And in that moment, like I remember just blasting it in my car and, and hearing that line and I was like, whoa well, I know what you should be looking for. <laughs> Can I talk to you about it? Like, he saw that there was something missing in life. He was searching for that meaning. There's got to be more than this. I don't want to just exist. They had tried many of the same things as Solomon to find meaning and came up short and even wrote about it and the honesty of that line. I wonder if we sometimes have similar questions. There's got to be more than this. Solomon, in his search for meaning, had been a, a participant and a keen observer of what God was doing, of God's plan and God's work, how he orchestrated these seasons, both in Solomon's life and in the lives of others, and the toil and the burden that God had laid on humankind to be stewards of his creation. And the teacher also recognized that God had made these seasons with intentionality. The next verses that we're going to read, we're going to see that, that Solomon says that, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. So let's continue reading. And out of these next verses is where we get our three points for today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. Solomon, always asking questions, seeking answers, says, What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, 
And what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. So there's a lot here. And if I'm honest, it was really challenging to look at these verses from 1 to 15 and figure out, okay, what, what is in here for us to be able to understand it and maybe walk away with some deeper understanding of, of what is God trying to communicate through Solomon's tortured soul, of trying to, to figure out the meaning of life. So point number one, as we talk about finding satisfaction, is that satisfaction is found in eternity. Satisfaction is found in eternity. Now, again, not super hopeful because that's like sometime in the, the distant future, right? E- eternity, but actually it begins now, like here and now, following Jesus Christ, like eternity is now and extends on forever. So we find satisfaction in eternity. If we look at verse 11 again, we see he has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also set eternity in the human heart. God has made us with a a desire to know and understand things beyond ourselves. We have a desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. He's written into us this desire to, to search for this meaning, to pursue purpose. There's this desire within us to fully understand God's plan. Have you ever been in a place where, where something happens and you look at it and you're like, like God, what, what are you doing here? I, I don't understand. We begin to ask those questions that Solomon asks, like, okay, what's the point here? Like, why this thing now? Why taking this person or losing this job or moving to this place or whatever it might be? We begin to, to question God in his goodness, in his plan, in his purpose. And we say, okay, what's the meaning behind that? He's written in us this desire to know this desire beyond ourselves for eternity. He's written it into our hearts. And yet, what does verse 11 say at the end? He has also said eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You got to imagine that Solomon, as he's writing this, it's just like, like, come on, God, you've said eternity in our hearts, but you can't even like help us fathom it. Even that is meaningless. Because you've said it in our hearts to desire to know eternity, to, to know your plan. But, but God, you're so great and so amazing and so beyond my capacity to understand. I, I can't even fathom what your plan is. So you just got to imagine Solomon just in his frustration, like he said eternity in our hearts, but we can't even fathom him beginning to end. Like God is so beyond our ability to understand. And yet he's written into us this desire to, to get closer to him, to know him. Theologians of the past have called it that God-shaped hole in our hearts, this desire for something more. So Solomon was potentially frustrated by the lack of meaning here too, knowing that we were made for eternity, but we can't fully comprehend it. And because of that, we'll never be fully and permanently satisfied with the things that exist inside of time. So we think, what are these things that exist inside of time? They're kind of beyond eternity, or they're, they're like inside of eternity. I guess eternity is beyond these things. Well, they're all the things that Solomon has already sought out, right? There's these things like, like work and, and relationships and, and music and, and money and possessions and, and fame and wisdom and all these things that Solomon has sought after. They're things that are, that are contained within a timeline, 
We saw some of his frustrations last week as we talked about the, the pursuit of work and seeing that whatever he works for, at some point, like he's going to be gone and somebody else is going to take that work over. And will they be as good of a steward as him? Will they be as wise? Will they be as hardworking? Ah, probably not. So even that's pointless. Even that's meaningless, right? He's like, everything under the sun can't satisfy because there's only one who can. So satisfaction is found in eternity. Though we seek for satisfaction here in this life, it will never be full and complete. It will always be lacking something. Which brings us to the second point that we have. Because we see that Solomon doesn't just leave us here, but in fact, he goes so far as to say there is something in the minutia of time that is a gift from God. So what does he say? Uh, Point number two is satisfaction is found in the little things. Satisfaction is found in the little things. Okay, so it's found in eternity and it's found in the little things. Like how are these, how, how do these combine? Because they feel a little bit separate. But Solomon says in verses 12 and 13, he says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. It's a gift from God to be able to rejoice, to be happy, to live morally good lives, to eat and drink and and find satisfaction in all of our work. It's a gift of God to be able to enjoy that. Solomon's really encouraging, like, enjoy the little things. Find satisfaction in them. Because it's not going to be full, it's not going to be complete, but it is something that that you can look to as, as setting you up for what you're going to find in eternity if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and get to spend it with God in heaven. So it's a gift from God to be able to enjoy these things. We have the capacity to enjoy what God has given and thank him for it. So a little bit of self-reflection. How do you deal with the little things in life? Think about your, your own busyness, your, your, own, like your own life and the things that go on. How do you deal with those little things? Are they... Little things that cause frustrations or annoyances, are they inconvenient or do they go just even simply unnoticed? These little moments, these little things that God has given to us to enjoy. Notice what he says. There's nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. Right? It's even the the minutiae of eating and drinking. Do we find satisfaction or are we just like on to the next thing and and just moving so fast that it goes unnoticed? Maybe for you, you notice the little things, you enjoy the little things and and you find satisfaction in the little things and that is a a gift from God that you have been able to receive. I almost went fully that direction with this whole sermon asking the question, do you even enjoy your current life? Because I feel like sometimes we can look at our lives and, and, and we just like are running this rat race. Like we're just on the treadmill of life, just like never going anywhere, but running full, spe- full steam ahead, right? It's like, man, what's the point of that? We're missing out on so many things, just the, these little things. Just the other night, I have a five-year-old. Her name's Aaliyah. And, uh, and you know, it's getting dark a little bit sooner. Um, her bedtime is around 8 o'clock. And, and so we were outside at a time that it, it was darker than it had been the whole summer. And it, we got to see the stars, right? When's the last time, like, you just stopped 
and enjoyed the stars. And she saw them and she's like, whoa, there's so many stars, I can't even count them. And it's like, man, to be five again and to have not a care in the world that as I'm driving down these twisty turning roads because we live in Pennsylvania, that you can just like look up at the stars and be like, wow, they're beautiful because I get in trouble when I do that while I'm driving, right? And so, but to have that, that innocence and just that enjoyment in the little things, have you lost that? Like, what can you do to recapture the enjoyment and, and the satisfaction in these little things? This enjoyment and, and satisfaction really is a gift from God as we follow his plan, as we follow his guidance. Now, I know not every season feels like a gift. We enter those seasons at times because it's a season. We go into them, we come out of them, and some seasons are hard. Not every season feels like we should enjoy it or even can enjoy it. I shared it at the end of 2018. I was preaching kind of around Christmas time and New Year's, and uh, I shared how our family had gone through another miscarriage. Not our first, but another. And looking at that season, I can just imagine reading that verse and, and saying, how can I... In, in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And asking in those moments, how is there beauty in this? And it's in those hard seasons that really God does his greatest work in our hearts if we let him. We're not going to see beautiful things because they're beautiful. But we can see our beautiful creator in horrific circumstances. And so we're not saying that, that everything is always good all the time, because that's not true. And so we go through hard seasons. Even in those hard seasons, God is good, and God is present. And so whatever season you find yourself in today, know that God is not surprised by the season that you're in. He's not like, oh, 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 that wasn't the one you were supposed to go into yet. Like, oh, uh oh, oh. Nope. God knows. And God is present. Whatever season you're in, God's not surprised, and he's right there with you. If you'll open up yourself to see him in these little blessings, in these little things. That's why we, we dedicated our daughter a, a few weeks ago, and uh, it, it was our second daughter, the one that came after our two miscarriages, and we named her middle name Hope because we had been praying for this child. And at that time, now we see the beauty in it. It's, some, it's something that, that is removed from the immediate situation. Maybe I didn't see the beauty in the moments, but I see the beauty of what God was preparing us for now. So again, we find satisfaction in the little things. <clears throat> and so as we think about these little things, we, we need to just remind ourselves. Sometimes in the hard season, we, we don't see them. We, they go unnoticed because we're so consumed with the season in front of us. Sometimes we just need to take a break, take a step back, and just open our eyes and say, God, show me these little things. Sometimes in the easy seasons, we also don't see the little things because everything's going well. And so we need to, again, open our eyes to see these little things so that we don't just see them in one season or the other, but we see them in every season, knowing that they're never going to fully satisfy because the things in, like within time, these things are never going to fully satisfy us because we were created for something more. 
but knowing that we can find enjoyment in them because it's been a gift that God has given us. Now, moving to point number three in verses 14 and 15. Satisfaction is found in reverence to God. Satisfaction is found in reverence to God. Solomon calls this the, the fear of the Lord in other places in, in Proverbs. Here he says, and nothing, uh, God does it so that men will revere him at the end of verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. It's impossible for us to, to fathom or to understand God's work from beginning to end, and it's equally impossible to fathom everything that God does that will endure forever, and yet that's what he does. God is in the business of things enduring forever. God's work in this world is meant to lead us to a place of reverence and awe and worship. And so as we are able to find satisfaction in the little things, it points us to God, who is the God of eternity, who then we find satisfaction in all of these things. They're all intermixed and interwoven because the little things can lead us to see the bigger things, to know that God is in control and God is eternal. That's where the teacher ends in these verses, this reverence of God, the, the power of God, the, the sovereignty of God, how he is over all things. Everything he does will endure forever. And God does it so that men will revere him. Do we revere him? Do we just stand in awe of who he is? Do we take the time to think about how awe-inspiring he really is. It's as we understand our place in God's world that, that we're led to a place of, of humility and surrender. A place of realizing that, that I am not the Lord of my life. I am not the one who, who determines and, and you know, sets the, the direction and guidance for my life. I'm not the one who brings myself into a season or out of a season, but God is in control of it all. Realizing that I need to surrender myself to follow his guidance. To not follow just my plan, but follow my plan in submission and surrender to his plan. Out of our reverence for him comes obedience, a desire to, to follow him. Again, we are able to, to live with satisfaction in every season as we live in reverence to him. We enjoy things in their season. Verse 15 ends in, in kind of this, this mirror image of the first chapter, verse 9. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 1.9, Solomon writes, and he says this, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. In verse 15, he says, Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. What he means by that is kind of this cycle of, of these seasons. They, they come and go and they come round and round again. Like there's, there's this cycle of time and, and things come back and forth and back and forth. And he's going to call them into account. So where does this leave us? Hopefully not too discouraged. <laughs> Hopefully not too feeling like meaningless, meaningless, like everything is just meaningless. Like why even try? Like hopefully that's not where we're ending 
But maybe you're asking that question, like, like is there more to life than, than what, how I have been living? Is there something different that I should be doing? Like maybe the pace of life is not sustainable. Maybe I'm missing these little things. Maybe I'm just so focused on what's right in front of me that I don't even have the capacity to look at eternity and find satisfaction in that. Or I'm running so fast I can't even look and stop to see and find satisfaction in the little things. Or maybe I just don't even take any time or I don't really care all that much about God. And so I don't really find satisfaction in revering him because I don't really care about him. Like where are you today? Wherever you are, you're in a season of thinking that way, of living that way. So the question is, are you getting ready to move into a different season? Are you getting ready to to move into a season of surrender? Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've not surrendered your will to his. If you haven't, we're going to have somebody up front here at the end of the service that you can come and pray with and learn more about what it is to follow Jesus and put your faith in him and follow him. Maybe you're in a season where it just feels like you're firing on all cylinders, but you're on that treadmill, not really going anywhere, but it feels like you're doing a lot of work. And you need to get to a, a season where you're able to, to be producing fruit, not just fruitless activity. Whatever season you might be in, try to find satisfaction in it and pray that God would reveal where you need to move. Maybe some decisions that you need to make. Again, whether it's, well, it's always surrender. It's always more surrender to him. Because if you're anything like me, I need to surrender every day of my life. Because I like to do things my own way. <laughs> I prefer my preferences. That's why they're preferences. I think that I know more than I do. <laughs> I think my way is often better than it actually is. And so every day of my life, I, I need to surrender myself to the Lord and ask what he has for me, what direction he has for me, how to find satisfaction in his world. It's something we need to continually be doing. So whatever season you find yourself in, I encourage you to, to pray to the Lord and, and ask him to reveal what season you're in. Uh, you, know, you know what your life season is, but do you know what your spiritual season is? If you need to surrender You need to do some work between you and the Lord right now before you leave. Wherever you are, look to how you can be producing fruit, how you can be growing in your relationship with God, knowing more of him, surrendering more to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that that Solomon went on this journey for us to seek out meaning and to look in so many places and not find it so that we don't have to have the same fruitless endeavors. But God, we can look to his example and see where did he actually find meaning? Where did he actually find satisfaction? And it was in you alone. God, I pray that you would bring us to a similar place, that we would find our satisfaction in you. Father, we thank you for this time together. I pray that your word would would continue to resound in our hearts and our minds and work out into our lives. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us online today. If this week's message inspired you to go deeper, don't forget that fall is a great time to join a small group. And we have a variety of small groups that are available. 
We look forward to seeing you again soon on campus or online. Have a wonderful week, everyone.